As you might have noticed as we begin these messages each Sunday, I often like to start them with a question, a question that we'll hopefully have a reasonable answer to during the time that we spend together within the message, and I'd like to do that today. The question is, in some ways, similar to the question that Jesus asked his disciples on an occasion just after a visit from the followers of John the Baptist. The question is, and listen carefully for this, what do you expect to see, to hear, to experience as you enter the doors of this church each Sunday? What is your hope? What is your expectation as you listen to me preach these sermons? As I pondered that question, and especially considering all the many congregations sitting in their church pews this morning, I've come to realize that that answer to that question would be a very diverse answer. Because some congregations, yes, are solid in their desires for Christ. And they truly want to hear the words of Christ preached, and passionately so. But other congregations... Other congregations are like those that are described in 2 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 3. Listen to these words. This is taking place today in many churches, folks. There in 2 Timothy 4 we read, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they'll turn away from listening to the truth and they'll wander off into myths. The reality of these words is so obvious to us today as we observe so many of the churches of our day, especially those that we see in the television media. But folks also, there are some of those churches probably right here in our own neighborhoods. They do not want to endure sound teaching, but they have itching ears and they accumulate to themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Not what the truths of Scripture say, but their own passions. So, may I ask us again, what do you expect to see, to hear, to experience when you come to this church? What do you want this church to be like? What kind of preacher... Do you want me to be each Sunday as I stand here before you? Let me pause for a moment and I'll read these words from Scripture that we're talking about here. This is Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. When John's messengers, these were his followers that had come to Jesus to ask Jesus, is he the Messiah, the coming one? When John's messengers had gone... Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. And he asked, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are kings and in kings' courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. 
This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. One of the most powerful and effective weapons that can be used against a person's faith, whether it be in John the Baptist's generation or our own generation, is one that really comes resident within each of our personalities. And it's kept there willingly by us simply because we don't regard it as being in any real threat. And that weapon is named and described in many different ways. Sometimes it's called complacency. Complacency. Self-satisfaction. Even sometimes self-righteousness. But whatever the name that we call it by, its, its effects are still the same. It has the ability to convince you and me that we're okay. We're okay as we sit in our church pews each Sunday. We're okay with the behaviors that we have. We're okay, though we go to a mediocre church service and we have a lifeless Christian walk. Yes, we may be saved. Yes, we may be saved. But beyond that, without much life at all within all that we do each day, it's without passion, without substance, seeking only and satisfied only by the approval of the people and the culture around us. We agree with what is taking place in our culture. And so we bring it into our church, though it may not be good for it to be there. We live as reeds that can be shaken by any wind that blows our way. And as church members, we often gather to ourselves preachers, teachers, who are like us. They're also reeds that can be bent over in any direction as the wind blows. That's the subject of Jesus' teaching of the people on this occasion. And he used as a contrast to all of those behaviors the strong and the passionate commitment of this man, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a man of great passion, completely given over to the calling and to the ministry that God had placed upon him. And Jesus being able to Look deeply into the depths of John's heart. He knew very well how committed John was. And here, Jesus pays John the greatest of all compliments. The greatest of all respects and witness that could be given to a man. And folks, as we've said on other occasions from this pulpit, that of all the people, of all the people who would say good things on your or my behalf, And of all the praise that we might receive from people over our lifetime, there's no witness and there's no testimony that we should desire more than the witness and the testimony of the Lord Jesus. It's his praise and his acceptance alone that will make the difference both in this life now and also in our eternal life to come. But unfortunately for most of us, for most of us, whether we be of that generation or of our own generation, Jesus is not often, at least, able to pay such compliments to us. That's because that specially deeply held need for satisfaction that resides within us is too often being sought 
from other sources, being met by other sources. Sources other than the Lord Jesus. We love spending time in fellowship with those who think like us. Other reeds that are being bent and wavering from every wind that blows. Those sources that we really should not look to for comfort and approval and guidance. They lead us astray. But also, there's another element that's within this equation of need for approval. And it's that deep-set need that we have to succeed, to prosper in the things that we do, for people to approve of us. We love our successes. We love people to compliment us. And when we combine that desire with our need for approval and we combine it with the things of the Lord, we stumble. We stumble. And again, it's most often our choosing of those wrong sources to guide us where we get led astray. We get convinced by their words and we get attracted by their charisma and we follow along behind them blindly. But here in today's scripture passage, Jesus tells us that if we will only open our eyes, we'll recognize them for who they really are. He tells us that we'll usually find them in fine clothing, living in well-to-do lifestyles, because that's what we like. Do we not witness that exact measurement of success taking place within us and all around us with the people that we spend time with. But also, we get to watch it in the media. One of those blatantly obvious examples of what we're talking about here is in the Academy Awards presentations. I marvel at that kind of thing. A group of people, in this case, they are actors and producers and directors. They all agree that, why don't you all get together and give me praise? Tell me how good I am at what I do in my acting career or in my directing career. And so they gather to them people who will compliment them. And so that's what you watch for an hour or two on the television. You watch people say nice things about other people. None of those things having to do with real character. But they gather people together to say nice things about them. And then also, too, you'll note before all that starts, there's no end to the adoration given to all those expensive gowns that the ladies wear as they enter into those big halls of where the Academy Awards are presented. But folks, listen, unfortunately, that same kind of thing takes place with us Christians. That same kind of thing takes place with us Christians. So often in the media interviews that we see with Christian leaders and Christian music stars, They look and they talk much like these and certainly much like those that are described by the Lord Jesus. And God warns us about all those things. He tells us clearly that he does not want us to love this world, neither the things of this world, the habits, the behaviors, the traditions of this world. He says, don't do that. Love not this world. It'll captivate your hearts. And it does that. It captivates the hearts even of the most devout of Christians because all of us like to be told how wonderful we are, how well we sing, how well we do the things that we do. But what we are in that 
is what the Lord Jesus was describing here. We are reeds that are wavering in the wind. Much like those people that we see on those programs on our television. Listen again to what Jesus has to say concerning John. He said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments. Indeed, those who are splendidly apparelled. And they live in luxury. They're like kings in king's courts. The people of that day had not seen a true prophet like John in a long, long time. Many generations. All they were accustomed to seeing in their religious leaders was the same as we see in ours today. They saw well-dressed scribes and Pharisees, well-dressed priests. There was a doctrine within the Jewish tradition that said, if you please God, he will bless you with finances. And so they felt very comfortable in having their fine clothing. And so that's what they were used to seeing in Jesus' day. And also then today, we see well-dressed preachers who preach ear-pleasing rhetoric, words that sound good but lack real meaning and have no substance to them. All you need to do is turn on the television and listen to some of those church leaders in those mega churches preaching ear-pleasing rhetoric, saying only half of what God says. God loves you, they tell you. And he does. But he's also a holy God. And so there's a lot more to him. But they don't tell you that. Because that doesn't please your ears. They only tell you what they think you want to hear. And that is that God is love and he'll just make sure everything turns out okay for you. Saying words that lack real meaning and substance. And in fact, so many people, so many believing Christians want to hear that sort of thing. Because we love symbolism. We see how successful he is. How well-dressed he is. And how beautiful his wife is. And how well-dressed she is. All that symbolism that says, if you believe me, then you can become like me. We love that symbolism. And we'll exchange all the substance of Scripture for that symbolism. Why? It's because there's none of the hard work and drudgery of duty that truly is a part of this Christian walk that we have with Christ. We enjoy those thoughts that are given to us through their fancy clothing and eloquent words much more. There in Jesus' day, the scribes and the Pharisees and the other church leaders, they truly did dress well. And while their words had this appearance of self-denial, and they did that often, strong obedience, tithing, on every penny, Jesus was able to see through their facade. He knew that they truly were like reeds that were wavering in the wind. And Jesus knew also that the people who went out into the wilderness to hear John the Baptist, they were truly seeking something more than they had been accustomed to with their religion. They didn't know what they might find, but they knew that what they had was not working for them. And here Jesus put the whole frustrating dilemma into words that they could and now we can clearly understand. This description reads, shaken by the wind. 
tell about men and women and preachers and teachers who are not strong in their testimony, but they're instead weak and willing to adjust their messages to accommodate any listener that reads those preachers are reeds wavering in whatever direction the wind of demand dictates, seeking that temporary approval. Here Jesus points to the dramatic contrast that's taking place by asking the people to consider the actions, the behaviors, and the manner of dress of John the Baptist as compared then over to the scribes and the Pharisees. John was not the usual reed that could be seen wavering in the wind. And neither did he choose fine clothing. You'll recall that he dressed in camel's hair and he ate wild locusts. Though he was a priest, he was a legitimate priest, just the same as some of those well-dressed priests. He was a priest by birth, son of the priest Zachariah. All that John did was in direct opposition and an affront to all those others in the priesthood. He had such strong character. And he refused to accept the sin that was so prevalent around him. Sin that the other priests refused to address. Sins like that of their leader, King Herod. King Herod had taken his own brother's wife to be his own. Why had the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests not themselves joined with John the Baptist to publicly condemn Herod for his sins? Their behavior was precisely what Jesus was describing in his words, reeds blowing in the wind. They were weak-willed, afraid, and they were unwilling to address matters of sin. And folks, when the church willingly chooses to abdicate its responsibility and does not call sin, sin, but instead even welcomes it into their church, everyone suffers. And that's so throughout our nation, whether it be in governmental leadership, right on down to the lowest in our citizenry. It was so then and it's so now. Just imagine what might have taken place had the priesthood and the church members of Jesus' day united in condemnation of Herod's ways. Who knows, perhaps Herod might have turned from his wicked ways and history might have turned out very different. But they didn't. And he didn't. And we're left where we are now. There with Jesus and John the Baptist calling out to the people to repent. To turn from their wicked ways. And then John ending up in prison and also to die very soon. At the hands of King Herod. Some of the people though listened and they obeyed. But many didn't. They didn't and that disobedience has continued on down through all the generations to our own. And we have become very much like the people in the church leaders of Jesus' day. We in our generation love to hear rhetoric. We love to hear symbolism. And we don't want to hear much substance. And we really do. As I mentioned a moment ago, we like our ears tickled with things that we like to hear. And we choose governmental leaders, church leaders, pastors, evangelists, all of them. As long as they tell us what we want to hear. And that's why God has given us these scriptures, these words of truth that are intended to point us back to the paths of righteousness. Here we're being warned to not follow after those secular leaders and those church leaders who are like those reeds that are waving in the wind. We're not to follow after them. 
We're not to follow after those that will not challenge us with the truth, the truths of the gospel. We're not to follow after those who tell us that if we want to look like them, if we want to be like them, then all we need to do is simply believe real hard. Believe real hard. And then we can speak all these good things into being. Right at this moment, there are many, many television programs with preachers that are preaching this very wrongful belief. If you believe real hard, you can speak all these good things of your success into being. It's a corrupt form of belief. Folks, my commitment to the Lord and to you as pastor of this church must be to ever and always preach the solid truths of this gospel. And never to allow myself to become one of those reeds that will wave in the wind. And listen, it is your responsibility to hold me to this. It's your responsibility to hold me to the preaching of the true gospel. I must always speak the truths of God clearly and plainly without concern for any lack of approval that I might receive. And this church must never reach for and desire those more tantalizing social forms of the gospel that are going forth out from all those pulpits today. Listen, social gospel is poisonous to our souls. It is poisonous to our souls, leading anyone who listens to it to become like those reeds that are waving in the wind. Let me say that again. Like the church in Jesus' day, too many in our own churches are caught up in a misguided theology that promises, that is, if we'll just walk down the aisle and pray that sinner's prayer and then join in all the activities and the behaviors, then we'll be rewarded with good health and pleasant lifestyles in this life and a wonderful eternal life in heaven. And yes, to some degree, there's some truth in that. But folks, not much. Not much and not always. In our relationship with Christ, if that relationship does not have the passion and the commitment and the purposes of Christ within it, then we may one day stand sadly in judgment and hear words that we don't want to hear. Words from the Lord Jesus that says, Depart from me, I don't know you. I don't know you. I do fear that there are many people sitting in pews today that are going to suffer that. These simple words of Jesus remind us and demand of us that we not seek after church leaders that are reeds shaken by the wind. And that we ourselves not be those same kinds of reeds that are shaken by the wind. But instead that we be men and women who have a deep and committed passion for the person of Christ. And so I ask you, do you? Do you have that passion? Do you want to have that passion? And I want to say to you, you can. I can. All that we have to do is to surrender ourselves over to God's Holy Spirit. And He'll bring that passion into our hearts. That's a promise that God will fulfill. Listen to these precious words of Ezekiel 36. I've read them for us so often. But I'd like to read them again and we'll close. Ezekiel 36 verse 26. God says to us, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit within you and I'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh and I'll give you a new heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit within you and I will cause you, I will cause you to walk in my statutes 
and you'll keep my judgments and do them. Precious words. Let's pray.